0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in in Romans chapter 6 and as you're turning there or if you've already there I want to introduce you to this very crazy thing called a guinea worm. Has anyone heard of a guinea worm? Hopefully not. Okay so does anyone have a kind of squeamish stomach? I'll, I'll try to leave out some details. So here's the guinea worm. The guinea worm is found in Africa and what happens is is they drink contaminated water and this larva, of the guinea worm, gets into their system and it goes undetected for about a year. During this year, this larva turns into this guinea worm. It's like three feet long in your body and it burrows a hole through your intestines and just starts swimming around. And apparently this is extremely painful. Extremely painful. Uh, and you don't know what I can imagine is having this three foot worm swimming around. So everyone in here is like, okay, why are you talking? okay. So what happens is, is at the very end, sorry Faith, I'll get to the end. So at the very end, you're in all this pain, you're going, what is wrong with me? And then you get these blisters on your feet. And you're like, what does blisters on your feet have anything to do with this? Well then what happens is the blisters burst and out comes the guinea worm. You can see a little bit of it at a time. Really gross, okay? So you see its head coming out and here's what, here's what they do. You can't just grab the guinea worm and pull it out. You have to pull it out centimeters at a time and It takes about a month long. I'm sorry, Luann. She's like, please, just stop telling this story. This is so gross. But they pull it out carefully, and here's what could happen if you try to take it out too fast. It could separate. You could become infected, and it could be it could be fatal. So why am I talking about this? Okay, so. All of us in here have a similar condition, okay? And I hope, like, if you're like me, I hear this and I go, this is like, literally makes my skin crawl, and I can't stand even thinking about this. But the reality is, we all have a very similar condition. We just can't see it. It's the condition of sin. It's what we're talking about today, is that like, look at the comparison here to our sin and this guinea worm, okay? The problem is, we are drinking this contaminated water called sin, right? And we don't know it's contaminated all the time. It goes undetected. You don't usually experience symptoms right away of our sin, do we? So we just keep drinking the sin. We keep drinking in the contaminated water. Eventually, it grows and grows and grows to where it's just all-encompassing and we're in so much pain. And it's at that point where blisters start to form because you're just kind of, what is going on? And then the sin comes out, does it not? Sin always makes its way out into our lives. And it's messy and it's ugly and we have to deal with it immediately. And it takes a really, really, really long time. And that's the concept of sanctification, what we're talking about today. Sanctification is like our lifelong endeavor to remove this nasty thing in our life called sin. And it's this lifelong process that just doesn't arrive. We will never arrive. It's just constantly ridding our lives of this sin that is so easily entangled, gets into us, and we are called to rid ourselves of this sin, to to wipe it away. And we need to do it immediately and carefully. And this battle is called sanctification. So if you're taking notes, sanctification, this is going to be our working definition. Sanctification is the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our lives. Now, that and man, we're going to get to that because we have very little to do here, okay? God does the saving work in us, but there's a posture that we must hold where we allow God's work in our life, and that's sanctification. We allow him to have his way to remove this nasty thing in our lives. This sanctification is progressive work of God to free us from sin and to make Him make us more like Christ. So the next stop is sanctification. You can see in the bulletin, it's our performed righteousness. We see salvation at work in our lives. So here's what we need to understand. That in this life, we will not be sinless. Okay, let's just all understand that. We will not be sinless. But as believers, we are called to sinless. Do you see the difference? We're not called to, we cannot be sinless. We will have sin in our flesh at war within us till the day that we die. But our goal, our desire, is to sin less. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 puts it this way. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So this process of ridding sin from your life, that is God's will for you and me, among other things. But part of his will for us is that we will undergo this incredible process, the saving process of sanctification. It's a divine work of God. And here's where we say it's and man, where it's upon our surrendered and willing hearts. God is not going to force his way into your heart. He knocks. And it's upon our surrendered and willing hearts that we can then be conformed into the image of Christ. It's a step where you and I get to experience the saving work of God in our day-to-day, in the in-between. So we're going to talk about this piece. This is our in-between. This is where we live. This is our here and now. And prayerfully, this is where most of us will spend most of our lives. You know, sometimes there's a thief on the cross and he's got a couple hours left and he goes, Lord, I need you. And his sanctification happens real fast. Right. But for us, we spend our time in the process of sanctification, of removing sin from our life. So in the order of salvation, it's interesting, two through six that we talked about, they all happen immediately. Our position changes. Number seven, sanctification of eight. This is where we spend most of our life. And this is where we see the demonstration of our salvation. And that's our main point for today. So all of this is going to come back to our sanctification demonstrates our salvation. It demonstrates our salvation, sanctification. How does that happen? So those of you who have been walking with Christ for any length of time, you know, sanctification takes a long time. It is slow. It's slow because of the nature of what it is. So God didn't justify us and just say, hey, I'm coming back later. Uh, So hold on. Good luck. That's not what he said. He said, hey, I saved you. I justified you. You are new positionally. And in the in between, until I return, I'm going to continue to save you from sin in your life. And that's the work of sanctification in our lives where we are seeing and experiencing God rescue us from sin as we open our hands and say willingly, God, would you do this? Would you change me? Would you rid this ugly thing that's popping out of these blisters on my feet and get rid of this sin because it is not of you? And that's what he came for. Our sanctification demonstrates our salvation. So two weeks ago, we looked at the very beginning of election, where election is based on God's affection, this mind-boggling reality that God says, whosoever will may come. And when you enter through, you turn around and say, wow, I was chosen before the foundations of the earth. Wow, And what was that purpose in First Peter? It was to encourage you to hold on, that you have been chosen, that God loves you. He has selected you, that you are not just some product of your own merit. you are someone that has been sought for and elected. He chose us based solely on His grace and His love, not on anything we've done. And then last week, we talked about Jesus died so we could be justified. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's like one of the best things that, that we can give one another today. Hey, you've been justified. Okay, you may experience sin in this life, but guess what? Your position with God, Christian, does not change. He has declared over us not not guilty or guilty. He's declared over us righteous. And that's the footing that we stand on today. If you are in Christ, and that's good news. But here, we're going to tackle sanctification. What is this thing, this performed righteousness in us? So, Tom opened us up. Let's read our, our passage together today. Our memory verse, Romans 5, 8. Hide this in together. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By his grace and his love are we saved, not by our works. So do not hear this sermon of sanctification and think, I am doing anything to achieve my salvation. He died for us while we were yet sinners and justified us. This is the process of ridding sin in our lives so we can run free. Right? We've been tangled. If you've experienced sin, you know how easily it can get in and just shackle and destroy and kill. And this is the process where God says, I can still save you from that here and now. As you hold on and wait for the day that I return. So that's what we're talking about today. So Paul ended chapter 5 where he says this. He ended that chapter by saying something crazy. Verse 20, let's kind of start there and then we'll keep reading um, as we get into chapter 6. But verse 20 says this. The law came, it came in so that the transgression would increase. What does that mean? So the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, what happens? Grace abounded all the more. Wrestle with that for a second. What was the purpose of the law that we talked about last week? The purpose of the law was not to come in and say, I can save you. The purpose of the law was to reveal, it was to diagnose that we needed a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves. So what happens is, is why is saying that the, the, the law came in so that transgression would increase? It increased our awareness. Because of the law holding up this mirror, this ugly mirror where we look in and say, oh, yikes, I did not know that I looked like that. I did not know that I was messed up like that. I got to go take care of this somehow. And it can't be done by myself. So the law reveals that we are sinners. But he's saying that we're no longer under law. We're under grace in Jesus. So that where sin would increase, grace abounded all the more, saying grace wins. Like grace is greater than our sin. We sing that. Okay, so let's keep reading here. So Paul anticipated, I don't know if you're like me, but you think about that and you go, well, hold on a second. Let's logically think through this. Okay, so if if sin increases and grace abounds, wouldn't that mean that logically we could say, well, then sin kind of makes more grace so that as we experience sin, grace abounds so like let's sin more right huh yeah okay Paul anticipates that so here's he knows that's our thought so let's read chapter 6 verse 1 so Paul thinking of our minds through the the Holy Spirit's inspiration he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase and this is emphatic I hope you hear this He says, may it never be. This is so emphatic. He's like yelling here. He's like, no way, Jose. Absolutely not. Like, that is totally not the way to see this. Just because grace abounds doesn't mean we can just frolic through the sin daisies and just, hey, I'm just going to have at it and and grace will cover me. Yippee skippy. That is not at all what he's saying here. He's saying, may it never be so. How shall we who died to sin still live in it. So he's going to hold here this this difference here, this forceful language and saying, no, 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 no. We should desire to progress in our sanctification. We should desire to rid our lives of sin in every facet of our lives. We do not hold on to these things that kill us. Because of the grace and the love of God in our salvation, this should be the springboard by which we chase after Jesus and rid ourselves of sin. So after he says this, for the next nine verses, Paul's going to explain um, because of our identification with Christ, we should desire to progress. And that's why he's explaining here our sanctification demonstrates our salvation. So point number one, we're going to jump down to verse 11. Point number one is the recognition of sanctification. The recognition of sanctification. Paul begins with a command. Let's go ahead and read verse 11. Even so... Consider, if you write, circle circle that word consider. Even so, consider yourselves to be what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Okay, so this is a big deal. That word consider is actually where we get the word logic. It's legit, so my. And what it's saying here is, it means to count, to compute, to calculate. And here's what he's saying. You are to consider, you are to count that you are now dead to sin. Have you ever heard anyone say, that person's dead to me? Like, oh, they're dead to me. We know what that means. It doesn't mean they're actually physically dead. We know that sin is not dead within us. We wrestle. We struggle. We wake up in the morning and the first thing is sin is after us. It's like, hey, scroll, swipe, don't run to Jesus. You don't need him. You're going to be fine. Sin is ever after us. It's not dead yet. We are in the in-between. It is already conquered. But here we are in this in-between going, what do we do now? And this legitimize, this logic he's saying, consider sin dead to yourself. Go, yeah, no, that, that's dead to me. Like, what is that? That, that offers, I don't, I'm not going to follow this person. They're, they're out of my life. I'm just, they're dead to me. That's how we are to consider sin. That is now dead to me. So I'm not going to go back To that, so he he communicated. If you want to experience, sorry, Jeff, I almost spit on you. If you want to experience sanctification in your life, we need to recognize, we need to consider, or count sin as dead to us. And that consider, it's resolute. It's a continuous action. It's saying this consideration is something that goes on. It's not just a one time. Yeah, I don't want to do sin anymore. And then you go back to it. You're going, no, this is dead to me, and I'm resolved to chase and follow after Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, Paul says it again. He says, I die daily. Are you encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ to die daily? That is what I need encouraged. Die to my flesh. Die to my sin. Say, that is dead to me today, Nathaniel. Wake up in the morning and your brothers and sisters say, hey, are you dying to sin today? That's what we need. And that's what we, where we get to experience our sanctification Because you know, as I know, sin is not really dead, not in the in-between. We must get serious and attack it. So here's what we need to know. Sanctification or becoming holy, it doesn't mean that we never sin, but here's what it means. You never have to sin. You see the difference? You never have to sin. Theologian John Stott, this guy, this picture just makes me so happy. Just picture, hey, this is good news, right? He says, sin is inevitable, but sin is never necessary. It's never necessary. I love that. Here's why. When you were justified, when you were brought from death to life, that slavery that we had to sin ended. You were bought from that, so you're no longer a slave to what controls you. You're no longer a master to sin. You don't wake up and and you don't have a choice to, to do what your master says not to do. We were slaves to sin. You were made new, and now we have a new master. And because of that, we do not have to sin. It is inevitable, but it's not necessary. So, what that means, believer, hear this. I'm saying this to myself. We do not have the luxury anymore to say, I couldn't help myself as believers. We don't have the luxury or the freedom to say, it's just who I am. In Christ, we are new. That is not true. So if that is what we say, then we're holding on to things that are not true. And we're preaching a gospel that is not right to ourselves. You are made new. You do not have to sin. You are not a slave to this sin anymore. You are made new. You, that has been severed because of the cross. And because of that, we need to consider, we need to count that our, this temptation is dead to me. Sin is dead to me. So we need, And it doesn't say feel as though sin is dead to me. He doesn't say feel that way. I'm a feeler, okay? So I'm not always going to feel like sin, like saying, yeah, I don't. Sin is enticing. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. Sin is fun. Otherwise, we wouldn't be drawn to it. So regardless of how we feel, we make a resolute decision where we count it. We say, this is true. You're dead to me, sin. Regardless of how I feel, I'm not choosing you anymore. You're dead to me. We need to consider ourselves to be dead to sin because in that we see the demonstration of our salvation. So let's go to point number two. We see the exhortation of sanctification in verses 12 and 13. So as a result of considering our status towards sin, that is now okay, dead to us. Paul now gives a series of exhortations regarding things that believers should and should not do. It's just kind of a back-to-back should and should not. So if you want to experience sanctification in your life, if you want to see that nasty thing get out of your life, here's what he says. Therefore, and we know that therefore is referring immediately back, because we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God for that reason, therefore, do not let sin... Reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. That's referencing right back to what we just just talked about. At one point in our lives, we were slaves to sin. And there's been a usurp. There's been a a, a change of the monarchy in our hearts. And here's what's the reality of sin. It is for the rest of our lives going to try to reclaim that title in your heart. It's trying to take back the throne that it used to sit on in your heart. And say, hey, I want that back. That's, that's mine. And our job, our call here is do not let that happen. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it. If you truly consider sin to be dead to you, you can't allow it to exercise kingly authority over you. Following Jesus is saying he is king, nothing else. Is Jesus your king today? Have you given him the authority that is rightly his? If so, you are going to get to experience sanctification. Sin wants to reign, but don't let it take over. It doesn't have to. So there's this cooperative process here in sanctification that Paul references. One, he's saying Jesus went to the cross and died to make sin dead to us. So we now have the opportunity to respond To God, because sin is dead to us and we are alive to God. Verse 12, he's saying, now we have the responsibility to not allow sin over us again. So here's what he's saying. Don't make peace with your sin. Wage war on your sin. Let's be a people who wage war on our sin. We see it for the threat that it is to one another, to ourselves. And we say, you're going down. You're dead to us. You're dead to me. And we're going to fight to get rid of this thing in us that is killing us. Do not let sin reign. Sin's an overthrown monarch. Don't give it the throne back. And the point here is, he's not saying that there's, or he's not saying this without the understanding that sometimes there's this thing called addiction in our lives, where we have allowed sin in our lives so much that it wraps around that our composition of our molecules and our body is now drawn to the thing that we've allowed to stay within us. He's saying, do not let that reign in authority over you. Do not let your sinful impulses call the shots because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And here's what I want to encourage you you can't do this alone. We cannot do this alone. If you're going to not let sin call the shots, that needs to happen internally and that needs to be helped. You need help from the outside. I need help. That's, Michaela's like, yes, you do. You need help. Get help, find a counselor seek community let the word of god reign in these communities so that the lord can call the shots and together declare war it's really hard to win a war by yourself link up with fellow warriors and say we're going to attack our sin together you want to know if someone loves you they're willing to go there with you they're willing to say hey i see that and with you we're going to attack that not each other your sin is not you. Your sin is attacking you and you've been justified, you've been made right. So this thing, we're going to kill it together, link arm to arm. It's not saying, "Hey, we're going to let that, we're going to let that be. You know, I'm okay if you lose a couple legs, at least I got you. You still like me." It's like, "No, together we kill that sin." And here's what he says in verse 13. I love this. Let's keep reading. He says, "And do not go on presenting the members of your body To sin as instruments, circle that word instruments or underline instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So that word instrument, it's only used five times and four out of the five times it's used as a weapon. So what he's saying here is do not use your body as a weapon for the enemy. He's like, Tony Stark, stop giving the enemy the weapons. Like, stop giving the enemy your weapons. He has none unless you give it to him, unless we give it to him. Stop giving him your weapons. Do not present your members of your body as, to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. When we continue to sin, we increase the supply of weapons for the purpose of unrighteousness. And the, the enemy's like, well, thanks. I'll use that to cut off your arm. Thanks. I'll use that to bleed out. I'll shank you from the back. And you're just like, how are you doing this? We're giving it to him. He can't touch us in Christ. When we continue to sin, we increase his supply. So stop giving the enemy your weapons. And and here's where we say there's a don't do this, but a do this. Did you know that Christianity is not just a bunch of don'ts? We don't just live in the land of not. You're like, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to basically, I'm going to be a a monk. Or as a female monk? A monkess. I don't know what a... (laughs) I don't know, a monk is well, I'm just gonna hold up and I'm not gonna do all this stuff. And that's what I'm called to do as a believer. I really want to know: is there a female monk? Is it a nun? It's a nun. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> I'm slow. Okay, I need help. Okay. So we don't just hold up, it's not just saying no. Here in our sanctification, we say no to sin, but now we have the freedom. We are alive in Christ, we are alive in God to now say yes. You can say no to sin from freedom and victory, and now we get to say yes to God, to his leading, to the life that he invites us into. So sanctification's way more than just no longer doing the wrong things. It's doing the right things. So if you've lived that way, let me just give you that freedom today. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus calls us into, so that your life is boring and not fun and not exciting, and you just can't do all this stuff, and you need to suffer. You get to suffer for the gospel and live in the freedom that is only in Christ. Sin is a liar. The lie of sin sin says, hey, come do this, and this is where life is found. You're going to have a blast. What is at its end? Every time, every time, it's it's the gritting of teeth, like, man, why did I do this? It's death. It It is a lie. And God's inviting us into what he has made us for, which is a life in him. And that's what we get to experience in our sanctification. So don't think that if you have a brother or sister who's trying to fight sin in their life, that they're just holier than thou. Like, oh, look at them trying to be better than me. No, we should celebrate that and say, yeah, let's kill that thing. And please do not let me get in the way of that. I do not want to be a stumbling block for anyone in this room. Do not let me get in the way of that. You fight that sin. It's killing you. It's killing me. Together, let's go attack it. So all of us, sanctification requires that all of us must come to a point When we decisively commit the entirety of our lives in service to God. That's why we say all the time, we are not playing a game here. If you come here to church, I'm sorry, we're not inviting you to just sit there and and consume. Like, there is nowhere in the Bible that says you can be saved and just like check a box and then go do whatever you want. We are called to full devotion to count our sin as dead and to say I am pursuing life. I have been brought from death to life and I'm now pursuing the one who holds freedom for me. Paul says that again in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I love this. It's such a beautiful picture. He says, "Therefore I urge you brothers, brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies and here's this weird word as a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your rational service of worship. He's saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Die daily. Die to the sin that you have counted dead. You've resolved to say, not on me. I'm going to run from this and I'm going to chase after Jesus knowing that that's where life is found. And it's not boring, church. Chasing after Jesus is the most exhilarating, crazy, scary, fun roller coaster ride. I tell I told my students all the time, I was like, I threw a lasso onto this rocket that is God attached to my chest. And I'm just like, whoa, like he just takes me all over the place. And it's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. But here I am. And it's just this really exciting life with God, not meant to just sit on our couch and twiddle and go, well, that's a cool idea. Let's live in this. Let's count our sin as dead and let's chase after Jesus. And that's where we, and this is so sad. So many people do not experience their salvation because they're not open or not welcoming sanctification in their life. They don't obey. They may not do what they're not supposed to do, and that's wonderful, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing what God's called them to do and they're missing out. It's like trying to fly with one wing. Right? You're like, I'm not going to do this, and you don't go anywhere. Soar. Like, I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then you get to fly. I don't know if it would be like a spin. I don't know. But you fly. You soar when you don't and do. It's this walk with the Lord. Let's soar like the eagles together in our sanctification. Okay, I'm bringing it home. Okay, the last point here, the motivi- motivation to sanctification. What's our motivation? And I love this. It's like we don't do this just because we muster it up in ourselves. What drives us to do this? Let's finish in v- verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Praise the Lord. God does not look at you and I and say, have you crossed all your T's and dotted all your iotas? Like he's not saying, hey, have you done it perfectly, Nathaniel? He says, what? Jesus satisfied the law. He didn't abolish it. He satisfied it. And in him... We are made the righteousness of God. So we now get to follow him and we are under grace. We said that it's the grace of spades. I don't know if you were here months and months ago. Maybe it was a year ago. We always have the trump card of grace. We always have this overflowing well of grace upon grace upon grace in our lives for you. Every morning when you wake up, there is new mercies for you. There is new grace for you to experience. You are not the product of whatever happened the next day. You can wake up new and fresh in forgiveness. There's grace waiting for you and I every day. That is what we have in Christ. So, Paul wanted believers to know we don't live under the dominion of law, sin, and death. Instead, we live under the dominion of grace, righteousness, life in Christ. So, God's grace is our motivation to obey out of love and gratitude. Now, sometimes we have to tell our hearts what to do, because we don't feel like doing the good thing all the time. Sometimes, but as you tell your heart, as you retrain your, your heart, you our living sacrifice, what happens is you are no longer, you're not conformed to this world, you're transformed. Your mind is renewed, and God does this work of sanctification, and it's this really exciting process. So our sanctification, I said this last week and we'll keep saying it. It's not a battle for victory over sin. It's a battle from victory over sin. We already have victory. I love this. Like I just want to say it like sin is defeated. Okay? It's overthrown, it's beaten, and I call it a toothless wolf that all it can do is gum at our legs. That's how we need to view our sin. Stop giving it teeth. We're the ones giving the instrument to the enemy to hurt us when all he can do is snarl and try to scare us and gum at our legs when we walk in our sanctification from justification by grace. There's grace for you. Not that we can continue on sinning, but we now get to say yes to right living, to following Jesus, and that is exciting and good, and there's life there. So as a believer, sin is not our master because we have a new master, and he's Jesus, and he's a great master. He's good, he is kind, he I cannot say enough about Jesus. And seasoned saints in here like, yes, Jesus is awesome. He's not just this boring guy who's like, play me a song, sing to me. He's like, let's walk together, let's do life together. I'm what you need. So, because this is true, what do we do? We just want to give three very practical things for us to do. Number one, maintain proximity. What do we mean? Walking with Jesus, we want to stay close enough to Jesus that when he whispers, you hear him. We ask the the wrong questions. I asked the wrong questions for so much of my life, which was, how far can I go before it's sin? In every area of my life. I don't know if that's like just me being a, a teen, but I was just like, I don't know if you guys experienced that where you're just like, yeah, where are the boundaries? Like, I'm trying to figure this out. But here he's saying, no, 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 don't don't do that. Maintain proximity to Jesus so that you are far enough away from from sin and that you're not allured by it. So maintain proximity so that when God does whisper, you can hear him. Don't ask, like, how many drinks can I have before I get drunk? Or how much truth can I hide before it's a lie? Or how intimate can I get before it's adultery? Or how much can I get away with? Those are questions that we should not be asking. We should be asking, how can I get closer to Jesus? Like, how can I stay close to hear him? Because that's where life is. And if you keep asking those questions of how close can I get to the edge, you're going to fall off. It is not Safe. Scriptures repeatedly tell us to flee from temptation. Flee, like straight up run. Joseph, run. Like, she got a hold of my robes. I am running. I am running. Ow, okay. Flee from temptation. The question we should be asking as believers is, how close can I get to Jesus? Not how close can I get to sin and be okay. Ouch. So it's like the illustration, and I'll finish on this point, of the little girl who got into bed. I don't know if you ever heard this. She falls out of bed. And her mom runs in and she's like, oh, sweetheart, are you okay? She sweeps her up. She goes, are you okay? She's like, yeah, mommy, I'm okay. She puts her back in the bed and she goes, sweetheart, how did you fall out of the bed? And this innocent little girl, she just goes, I, I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. And that's the idea here, right? Don't stay so close to where you got in. The door of salvation has been opened to you. You run, chase after Jesus, stay close to him and you'll never fall. Because you're just running close to him. So don't be like the little girls. Don't stay where you got into bed. Second thing, sustain a boundary. Here's where we are, we do want to encourage. Like, physical boundaries are good, okay? When you go to the zoo, I'm very grateful for physical boundaries, okay? And that's likened to our sin. Establish boundaries for sin. Don't jump in the playpen with the gorillas. That is a terrible idea. You will be ripped from limb to limb. Spiritual boundaries are important. Daniel is a great illustration. In Daniel chapter 1, he made up his mind that he was not going to serve any other God but his. He was resolved. He counted. He considered God. And he said, I am going to lock into him. He developed a boundary. So maybe today you need to make up your mind. You need to set boundaries. You need to avoid the parties at that person's house. You need to not be alone with that person you need to walk away and not listen to those jokes when they're being told, how that is very real. To install filtering software on your devices that will filter what you see. To keep clear of the casino because you have no ability to hold rein it in. Maybe you need to set boundaries. Two steps. The, do, the, do the Kentucky two-step. She's not here, okay. Two steps. You stay two steps away from where you will fall. If you can do that, you're gonna, you're gonna be in a good spot. Martin Luther says it this way, you can't stop birds from flying above your head, but you can't stop them from building a nest in your hair. Set boundaries in your life. Do not let them linger. Say, no, you're dead to me. You're going to stay in your cage, Mr. Gorilla. I'm over here. Sustain a boundary. And the last thing is obtain accountability. We already said it. You can't do this alone. Isolation is exactly where the lion that prowls around, wants to break you away and devour you. Do not do it alone. Obtain accountability. We need people in our lives who are going to ask us the hard questions, who are going to love us enough to go there. And we need to be a people that welcome that. No one, I will not force my way in. I will not say, you need to tell me what's going on. Like there's no confessional booth here where we say, you must tell me all of your sins. You need to invite that into your life. And it doesn't have to be everybody. Find people in your life that you can go there with who love you and will hold you accountable to God's word, not to your feelings. Good night. Do I need that in my life? Because I feel all kinds of things. They're going, no, 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 no. Hold on. How does that measure up? Obtain accountability. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Solomon wrote, two are better than one. There's a song. Two are better than one. That's when I was a teenager. Sorry. You guys, you remember? Okay. Uh, He says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can defend themselves. Link up. So sometimes just having a group, a brother, a sister in Christ, that you can share that vulnerable place, that temptation, sometimes that gives you the power enough to say no to it. You need to have that in your life. And this is where we want to call out, find a small group. We we call ourselves a small group church and we need to put our money where our mouth is and say, we're going to have small groups. So if you feel a desire that you need accountability and it's hard to find, I get it. It is hard to find. It's something that you discover these people. It's not something that you can force someone to be your bestie, you know, or to be that safe place. You discover, you pray, you find a small group where you can be you, you can be known, and you can be held accountable. Find a small group, a co-ed. We we do co-ed small groups here, husbands, wives, singles, all of the above. We want to stretch the whole gamut. But then a layer deeper, we want to encourage you to find a D group, a discipleship group. This is is where I need just a couple men in my life that I can go and say, hey, this is the real raw and the ugly, and I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to challenge me. We're going to walk through this together. Find these discipleship groups, and it's in these places that you will find incredible safety. They'll help you walk, navigate big decisions, small decisions, help process through what is even happening. Am I insane? Is this sanity? I don't know what's happening. Find a small group, a D group, because we need it. So we just want to say together, I want to ask, will we, can we commit to maintain proximity to God, sustain a boundary from our sin, not because we're trying to be holier than thou, but we, we see it for the evil that it is and we obtain accountability and so we run after Jesus together. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to commit to. So I want to leave three questions and then we'll be done. As you look back over the last few years, question number one of your Christian life, that's not what I said. Yes, can you see a pattern of sanctification? If not, why? Why have you not seen a pattern of sanctification? Is there some letting go? Is there some counting sin as dead to you that needs to take place for you to experience sanctification in your life? Number two, do you believe you are dead to the rolling power of sin in your life? Or do you feel like it has a grip on you and you have no choice? You need to talk about why that is. Three, how does this doctrine of sanctification help you regain hope for progress? I think you need to hear in this room that it can get better. That you can. We look at our culture. I am a fatalist at this point. We were born. I don't know if the youth in this room. It's like, is it? It's just going down. We're all going down, and that can seep into our Christian walk. We can feel like, yeah, no, this is never going to get better. And part of that's true. Like the end's coming. Jesus coming back. Praise the Lord! Cannot wait for that. We are seeing. Like today is closer than yesterday. We know that to be true. But don't lose hope. There is growth to be had. There is salvation to be experienced as you surrender to the Lord and see victory over sin in your life. You do not have to sin. It is inevitable, but it is not necessary. You can experience victory. There can be growth. There can be healing. There can be change. Sanctification demonstrates your salvation. So maintain proximity, sustain a boundary, and obtain accountability. I'll finish with, uh, I'm sure many of you know, Robert Louis Stevenson. He wrote a book in the 1800s that became very popular, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I just want to read to you what he said. They asked him, where did you get your inspiration for your characters? Does everyone know the story? Am I, okay, so if you don't, so Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's this guy who makes a potion and, and when he drinks that potion, he becomes this like monster. So Dr. Jekyll is good, Hide is not good. And there's these these like two very, very different people. And they said, "Where did you get the inspiration for your characters?" And he said, "I looked inside myself." He said, "I find there's always a struggle with the beast that lives within me." And I just want to encourage you. That will be our struggle as long as we have breath in our lungs. Paul said, "I'm not arrived." We will never arrive sanctification's work in our life is saying i'm waging war sin you're dead to me i'm waging war here we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling we're going to experience god's saving work in our life through sanctification and we're going to say it's time to go to war we press on we fight the good fight until the day We're going to talk about next week where we finally get to experience the last piece of salvation, which is resurrection. There will be a day that we will, sin will be no more. The the in-between, done away with. We are now with him. And I can't wait to talk about that next week. That is good news. Hold on. But no, sanctification is experiencing the demonstration of salvation in your life in the in-between. Rid yourself. Sin, you're dead to me. I'm going to chase after Jesus longing and waiting for our resurrection in the day that He will return. So hopefully you come back next week to hear that. That is good news. And hold on until then. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that there is hope. We thank You that You didn't leave us in the in-between and just say, figure it out. But Lord, we have the opportunity to experience Your saving work in our life over sin in our life now. So Father, I pray that You restore hope within us today. That if any of us felt that we just had to call in the towel, that we, there's no hope, that we will never experience victory over sin, that it's just it's part of who we are. Father, may we declare, may we count sin as dead to us from today on, and may we experience your saving work. And Father, I do pray for small groups. I pray for community to be discovered. I pray that you will help us to identify who are those that you have brought into our life that will hold us to your standard that will hold us accountable that will help us that will fight this war together father may we be found faithful as we fight the sin in our life and we pursue you thank you for the great salvation with which, which you've given us by grace and love it's nothing that we've earned so father i pray you help us to go from victory this week and face sin from a different vantage point this week so go with us be with us we love you thank you for your blessed assurance in jesus name Amen.